welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. This is episode 147 and my guest this week is David Parkin, who is an author, a theatre maker and an installation artist whose work is fiercely autobiographical or silly and speculative. And in 2015, David suffered his first manic episode and he was sectioned under the Mental Health Act for four months. And he's currently putting on a fully immersive art installation called David Parkin's Delusions of Grandeur. And that kind of explains his experience of being sectioned, including his diaries from that time, recorded conversations from that time from his friends and family, and loads of anecdotes from his time in hospital. And in this episode, I chat to David about his experiences with mental illness, with bipolar 2, and how he ended up being sectioned. And we chat about his time in hospital, and what that was like day to day, and some of the things that happened, and we chat about what life was like once he was discharged, and some of the artistic projects that he's worked on since that are all mental health focused. David also takes me through his recovery from a life-threatening brain injury that he had after jumping off the roof of a mental health hospital and many more incredible stories from his life. I love chatting to David. He's a lovely bloke. He was a lot of fun to chat to. He's got some great stories too, and he tells them in a really lovely way. He really finds the humor in some quite challenging things. And I was also really keen to chat about his art installation and to chat a lot about sectioning, about being sectioned, because there's an incredible amount of stigma and misunderstanding, I think, around being hospitalised for mental health. I know that there's uh, there's many guests that I've spoke to, and it was my own experience as well, where people have said to me that one of the reasons they didn't speak up and ask for help was for fear of being sectioned. And that's definitely that something that I would have said back in the day. If you'd have asked that version of me what I meant by being sectioned, I probably wouldn't have had an explanation for you. My only kind of frame of reference was telly and film and you know one flew over the cuckoo's nest and things like that it's quite an extreme view of being hospitalized and I think that's true for a lot of people so it's important to talk about that right it's important to talk about what that looks like what it's like day to day the effect that that has the positive bits the not so positive bits and everything in between and I love that that's what David is doing with his art and I think in this sort of I don't know, in this current climate where we're talking about awareness and we're posting things on Instagram and we're trying to spread the word and tackle the stigma and all this sort of stuff. I think what David's doing is really cool. You can walk around and have a look at elements of being sectioned. You can have a close-up look at mental illness in hospital and all the things that come with that. And I think if you've experienced something similar, I think you'll feel really seen by David's work. And if you have no understanding at all, I think it'll give you a lot of understanding. And I just think it's a really, really cool thing. Like I say, he's a great guy. He was lovely to chat to. Everything you need to know about him is in the episode notes. There's a link to his website. It's got the dates for the shows, how you can get there, how to book it, all that sort of stuff. It's all there. While you're in the episode notes, you could check out the link to the Proper Mental Podcast Patreon community. And you could sign up to join us if you like. It's only £5 a month. And for that, you get early access to all the videos of the episodes. I don't currently put the videos anywhere else. And I upload them as soon as I finish chatting. So this conversation with David has been up for a few weeks now. And I'm really trying to build like a, a community, a mental health focused community where we can connect and chat and come together. And as the community grows, I'm hoping there's going to be loads more different things that I can offer you for your money. And really all this does is allow me to keep making the podcast. I get offered quite a lot of advertisements and sponsorships and stuff like that. And I'm really reluctant. I don't want to do it. I want to keep it indie. That's important to me. I don't want to interrupt these conversations to try and sell you stuff. It changes the whole feel of the show the whole dynamic of the show so this is just a great way for people who listen who like the show to support it and if you fancy signing up the link is there if you fancy leaving a review that's an even cheaper way to support the show please do that this is episode 147 of the proper mental podcast with david parkin thank you very much for listening enjoy
So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is David Parkin. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. How oh, are mate? you? I'm good. Thank you, mate. I'm good. The sun seems to be back out, which is uh, makes things a lot a lot easier. Whereabouts are you, mate? Where are we talking from? I'm in Nottingham. I'm in oh, Nottingham. okay. Yeah. Just walked my dog in this beautiful sunshine. So, uh, yeah, things are good. Off to a, off to a good day, mate. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought... Um, a, you know, a useful place for us to start, as it often is, is it's kind of right, right at the beginning, David. And I saw, I noticed on your your website that you referred to yourself as a born show off. Uh, was that something that kind of, uh, you know, have you always been sort of expressive and creative from a young age? Is that always been the case? Yes. Yeah. There's a there's an old video, um, like a home video, and um, so they're trying to work out how the camera is. My uncle's filming, and he's filming my brother. And my brother's just sitting there and he's going, do you think, I think this is working. Um, you just talk to me and my brother goes, hello, how are you doing? And yeah, I think it's working. And then stage left, this uh, little ginger apparition appears going, there's no business like show business, like no business I know. And kind of falls out of shot. And my brother goes, and you know, they just carry on. And my brother goes, so it's working, right? Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, I've always um yeah, as as early as I can remember, you know, I went to uh did drama at the weekends and I was in I was in a drama club, you know, and I played Bugsy Malone in Bugsy Malone and all that kind of stuff. I've always felt the urge to show off. And I mean, this is a psychological maybe podcast, and um I have no idea why that is, what that deep-rooted psychological need is. But um, yeah, I've yeah. always Does that kind of, does that level of confidence, does that come naturally to you? Or is it, uh, do you have to kind of, you know, still kind of work yourself up to uh, expressing yourself that way? Um, I think it really varies. Uh, you know, we're talking about mental health. Like I can, I could, if I'm on form, I can do public speaking or a show or an open mic or whatever, and I'll be fine. I'll be absolutely fine. But if I'm in the past, if I've been going through a bad patch, you know, really, I don't sleep the night before, you know, I might've taken some sleepy drugs the night before and I'm kind of shitting it. Oh, by the way, I might swear quite a bit. That's fine. Yeah. I I, I express myself best when I'm swearing. Yeah. It's very difficult to talk about mental health without using swear words. I find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think it comes naturally, naturally to me and I feel, I feel confident, but there have been times where I've had to do something and it's really done my head in and ruined my week because I know I've got to do this, this show or this thing at the end of it. So uh, yeah. Sometimes I've made a rod from my own back a bit sometimes. Yeah. When, with, I suppose, the benefit of hindsight, when you kind of look like back through your childhood and being naturally expressive and, you know, do you kind of, do you see those moments? Do you see those patches that maybe you wouldn't have known what they were at the time? Um, or did the, or did that all kind of come a bit later on for you? What, the the bad patches? Yeah, yeah, just bits um, where you kind of maybe didn't have that natural confidence when it wasn't there for you. I think sometimes with like mental health, it kind of like creeps in and we think it's, we don't realise it's like a mental health thing, right? It kind of taps us on the shoulder early on and it's only with the benefit of hindsight looking back that we go, oh, hang on, that's probably what that was. Um, I think, I don't know, sort of uh, my kind of mental health all kicked off when I was about 19 at university. So I would say that probably kicked in then. I, I, I certainly don't have any memories of um, being abnormally worried about showing off. Uh, so, yeah. And then in the last few years, in the last decade or so, when my mental health dipped, I, I kind of then I was actively acknowledging it. I was caught in, a, a, you know, a bit of a trap. My sleep has always been a huge problem. Not so much now, but um, yeah. And I was kind of caught in a trap with taking lorazepam or whatever, or having a drink the night before. So yeah, there was a point when I was like, you know what? I I was thinking about what I was trying to do, um, what I was doing artistically next, and I was thinking I'd love to, I'd love to do a tour. 
a one man show or so with some maybe I played music. I can't remember what I exactly I wanted to do, but and I was going, well, I don't think I can because I think it it would scare me too much because um the idea of going somewhere, sleeping in a strange bed and then getting up and showing off the next day. Um yeah, so I guess for a while I felt I felt very kind of trapped by that. Yeah, that's really common. You know, that's something mm-hmm. certainly that I've experienced myself that I've kind of been experiencing recently, actually. And it's funny because it seems to keep coming up at the moment. I'm talking about this on here quite a lot. But yeah, that kind of uh, that fear, isn't it? As if you sort of overstretch or overreach yourself, that there's going to mm-hmm. be, uh, yeah, there's going to be consequences to that because maybe there has in the past right but at the same time you have to push yourself in those ways or you just play it too safe forever right i mean one thing that's i think i guess we talk about this later but um often my art has kind of dealt with recovery of a of a mental break um but i'm kind of i'm in a good place now i've i've got a i've um, yeah, I've recently, for a long time, sorry, I'm I'm pre, pre- guessing myself. For a long time, I was the kind of this bachelor uh, in my mid 40s who probably drank a bit too much and uh, was very lonely. And the lockdown really, like a lot of people did, I think I just um, had a different perspective and I realized I was quite lonely. And I think what I'd done is with relationships, I'd kind of self-sabotaged a bit. And at the end of the lockdown, I did this really good therapy. It was great. This lovely little lady, I would give her a plug, but my mind's going blank. Um, And we met in parks and I talked. And the wonderful thing was I was was on Match.com, which worked for me, Match.com. trying to do a plug maybe they'll give me something free i don't know um and i met this lady this italian lady um and uh yeah and i was having therapy at the same time and so i wouldn't have stayed or stayed with this woman unless i'd have had that therapy so i've had various therapies in my life but this one really worked and yeah so i went from this lonely bachelor alky maybe to i now live in this house and when i moved in she had six cats and a a, a pretty mental dog i'm i'm allowed to use the word mental i i'm gonna use the the bad words but a mental dog and a teenage daughter so um yeah i don't know where how did i get to this point so yeah now i'm kind of looking back on my life and actually as i said the art has dealt with moments where i'm recovering and at this point i'm kind of healthy i'm good i'm sleeping really well i'm not drinking what you know as no way near as much as i used to and um i'm looking at okay what what were the causes maybe um and I think stress, stress is, is a, um, yeah, a big thing. So when you, when you're making a show or, or making a, a, a project, stress can be a huge factor. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Stretch, stress kind of like, I don't know, it's a theme that runs through regardless of diagnosis, right? It kind of runs through everything yeah. when it comes to to mental health and it's really interesting you mentioned loneliness there as well i think particularly in men you know we know these awful statistics around men of a certain age and the the numbers around suicide and stuff but loneliness is huge in that and i i find that like it's definitely something i've experienced you know i moved to where i live now i moved here because i met my wife abroad and when i moved here i didn't know anyone you know and it like I don't know. It's just, it's really hard as a, as a man, particularly a man in your like thirties and forties to just kind of like to meet people and to, you know, and to connect with people and whether that's like a friendship or a relationship or any type of, you know, any type of ship it's um yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? And I, sometimes I think rather than admit we're lonely as men as well, we kind of double down on it. Right. So I was very much like, I don't need anyone. I'm good on my own. I'm one of life's solo artists. So I used to say things like that. And really I was, 
desperate for connection, but I didn't want to admit it because loneliness is like a, almost like a, a weakness thing. Right. And, and it can be very hard to do something about as well. So even if you admit to yourself, you're lonely, well, you still can't find any friends. So like, why even admit it in the first place? But I, I think that's like, that's huge in men's mental health. Yeah. I mean, I think, like you said, you kind of said, yeah, I'm alone. I, I mean, a huge thing for me, I've uh, been listening to the podcast and I see these people and they've got really traumatic triggers or things that have, uh, you know, caused their mental health. But uh, I mean, boringly for me, uh, romantic, romantic separations, you know, love going wrong has been a big trigger for me in my life. And in 2010, I was... Uh, it wasn't even a romantic relationship, but just a very intense. This person was supposed; she was supporting me a great deal, and um, and uh, stuff happened in life, and that you know she ended up moving moving away, and that hit me really hard, and I became extremely depressed, and um, then I jumped off a fucking roof. I can't I can't say that sentence without putting the fucking in the middle. Um but yeah, I'll I can maybe talk about that in a bit. But um yeah, so I came out of that and I was like, okay, well, maybe romantic relationships aren't for me. And I kind of tried to frame it in a positive way. The the weird thing was when I came out in the hospital. I was euphoric. So I got this huge brain injury, broke ribs and stuff. Well, when I came around, I was this giggling idiot with a with a five-minute memory. And there's other things like uh, I jumped off a private mental health hospital's roof. So I wouldn't have done it if it was the NHS, but um, uh, I sued them. And ka money you know and so I was framing it as this very positive thing like well I had this wonderful experience of recovery which was one of the most beautiful times of my life learning how to swim again is just immense you know um and I had this little bit of money that I could sort of buy my house with and yeah that's really good don't need women as well I'm just going to be an artist and I was very much yeah just being an artist and concentrating on that. And, um, and yeah, in 2010, I kind of went back and went, hmm, maybe I'm just very lonely. And this thing that I've been, I think it was good to try and frame it positively in my mind. And, but maybe, you know, maybe just by chance, jumping off a fucking roof, Maybe it's damaged me a bit more in some ways than I've been willing to accept, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as it would, right? As it yeah. as it would. Yeah. It's always like, like you say, it's, it's wonderful that you could reframe elephant, elements of it like that to kind of, you know, because I think we have to, don't we, when we're get, go, getting through something like horrendous, like it certainly helps. But yeah, there's a lot there, mate. There's a lot. Can we um, unpack that a little bit, yeah. David? Are you happy yeah. to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's little bits in my life that are quite interesting and a bit weird, so I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So the, the hospital, were you a inpatient there at the time? Yeah. Um. So this sort of relationship ended and I went home. What's happened? Okay, so I'm bipolar too. Um, for me, that means in my life, separated sometimes by years, but I've had three or four very heavy clinical depressions, suicidal depressions. I've also had one up. Maybe we could, that's that's what the this delusions of grandeur is about. But yeah, I had one of those. Um, I can't remember it very well because I had this brain injury I don't remember going into I went into a private mental health hospital as a voluntary patient and I remember very very little I remember maybe playing Scrabble with an old woman (laughs) and um yeah yeah so uh 
I was only in there for two weeks, and right. then um, and then I took took the leap. Yeah, so it's like it sounds like coming out of there, there would have been a. It's almost like a double recovery, right? So there's the recovery from the from from the illness, from the depression, and then the physical recovery from the brain injury. Like, well, yeah, and this is. I'm a bit of agnostic and um, see, recovering from the illness didn't really happen to me because, as I said, one of the side effects of brain injury can be euphoria. So I came around in hospital and, yeah, as I said, I was this giggling idiot. I used to have giggle attacks. Um which are glorious, wonderful, these giggle attacks. You know, the moment where you kind of realise you're slightly out of control and that makes it more funny. And, um, you know, I did things like, um, and I had no no um, uh, inhibition as well. So my auntie came to t- visit me and I told her she looked like my, my dad in drag. <laughs> and... So that is the only time where I've never had to claw myself. I did have to claw myself back in a load of ways because I was in hospital for about three months. I'd broken various bones and I had to walk, talk, eat and shit again. Um, But actually, it was... Because I had this euphoria for a good t- a good while, it was a strangely it was a strangely wonderful time in my life. Um, yeah, uh, as I say, learning how to swim again um, was was beautiful, and I mean, obviously, it was hard. I don't know; it was very profound. I've um, written a memoir about it which uh, teabags would be normal, still looking for a publisher. Um, and, yeah, recovery for me was in, in, incredible. And it really makes you realise what an amazing thing the brain is when when you have to learn how to walk with a cup of tea again and you realise you're... you're I'm going to have a cup of my cup of coffee, a quick sip while I explain this. You realize your hand holding the coffee whilst you walk is doing. Imagine a car going across a cobbled street and imagine the suspension of the wheels. So as you walk, your arm is is taking, you know, is being aware of these bumps and jolts and in a person with a perfectly functional brain is doing all these little things that you're not aware of that happen um but you're stripped of that and suddenly you go my god the the human brain is incredible you know so i guess what i was saying i'm a bit agnostic in that sense i kind of feel like the glorious irony and delicious, the delicious, the deliciousness of coming round, giggling, and um, yeah, after jumping off a roof, uh, it's definitely a moment in my life where I don't know if I, I was touched by something or, or maybe in, you know, as an artist, you just you you look at it and you say, wow, you know, um, I mean. As I said, it was a it was a kind of delicious recovery, um, but then obviously it kind of I kind of felt invincible a while after that. Like I'm David Park, and I jumped off a you know it was fifty fifty whether I could have survived. I jumped off a fucking roof, and and I became quite bullish, and the drinking kind of started again, and so. Although it was a lovely recovery, I I probably didn't get to the root of stuff afterwards. 
yeah i suppose of all the physical stuff going on you know you, i suppose you don't have don't have a chance when you're learning to hold a cup of coffee again when you're learning to walk again you don't really have the opportunity to kind of like uh address the you know the reasons why yeah. why it all happened in the in the first place yeah mate that's um that's that's incredible really how long after that does kind of mental health enter the picture again you know did you kind of have a, a patch there if we can't like i suppose um, timeline it a little bit 2010 uh and then i think there are a few little um there are a few little hiccups but things didn't really things really went wrong in uh, no 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 hang on sorry yeah 2010 2015 which is when which, uh, i guess i'm vaguely plugging my exhibition delusions of grandeur on in leicester in the autumn um yeah in 2015 i uh went up for the first time and and uh yeah i i got sectioned but running up to that there were i was drinking too much ex using sleeping pills and things like sick well i mean this isn't a recommendation but um if you <laughs> no one no no one do this it can have a terrible repercussions but if you do happen to have some razpam, you can go out and get absolutely shit-faced. And then when you wake up with the screaming heebie-jeebies the next morning, you can pop a razapam, sleep for another couple of hours, um, and you come up, you know, smelling of roses. Um, so I, I got kind of caught in that trap and... Uh, yeah, I was in a relationship once again that it ended and it kind of ended with her saying, you know what, maybe you should try a month off the booze. And I was like, right, I'm going to do that. I wasn't doing it to get her back. She made it clear, but I was like, right, I'm going to do that. Mm. And uh, so I did, and uh, which I think gave me a little bit of a weird kind of, boost just because i'd been drinking regularly and and quite heavily at the time it kind of gave me this weird boost and then i thought well i might i might come off my meds as well and uh yeah um and then and then i was i was uh i've written a kid's book and made a musical called uh the nose that nobody picked i was making that at the time and um, I became very obsessed with it. And I w so I'll give you just a glimpse. You know, a, a taxi driver drove me home and he said, uh, how's it going today? And I was like, great. I'm just putting the editing finishing touches to my kid's book, which is an agnostic parable that's going to change the world. <laughs> so I become I became very elevated uh, coming off. Quetiapin, I was I was on at the time was a huge mistake, and yeah, for I'm just gibbering now. I can't even remember what the stuff it was talking about. Yeah, so um, I was just I was flying, and for a while, you know, we talk about mental health, but a bipolar manic episode. When it's good, I always say this, this is, but it's like snotting God's Coke. It's um, it's great. Oh, there's a dog barking in the distance. And yeah, so I became very elevated and ended up getting sectioned. Yeah, I, I, I hear that a lot from people I speak to who have experienced mania and manic episodes is, you know, sometimes there is along the way, there is like a, 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 a like a sweet spot almost where mm. you can be like incredibly productive and kind of get all these amazing things done. Um, and then obviously the, the scale keeps going up. Right. And there's a kind of a, a tipping, a tipping point and things start to spiral out of control a little bit. I'm really interested to talk about, um, being being sectioned really david i think that 
there's so many people and it's also my own experience as well like i didn't ask for help because i was scared that if i sort of vocalized some of the things that were going around my head that i would immediately be be locked up and i didn't really know what that meant i didn't really i didn't know what i'd only seen section in on peep show i don't know if you've seen that episode where they all try and get each other sectioned. yeah that's, that's kind of all i knew about it and i'd seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest and i knew the words and i didn't really know what i was talking about but it was a real fear for me and that a lot of people have that as well without really understanding what being sectioned is or how it works or what it looks like. We've got this very stereotypical media driven view of it, I think. But I mean, what would the event, because I want I really want to talk about your installation that looks at this because I think it's a wonderful thing. And I think it would be a really, you know, for people to understand and learn more about it rather than just having this word section, you know, but to kind of like to get us, to get us there, what led you to being set? Do you remember much about being section, David, yeah. when you first? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was my my family. See, that's like I'm going to talk about sectioning, and it's not all going to be positive. Obviously, I th- looking back on it, it absolutely helped me because I was correctly diagnosed. I didn't even know I was bipolar. So I was correct, you know, because when you're in there, you're dealt with people who it's their job to work you out or to work out your medication rather than some confused GP, you know. Um, but uh, a lot of it is quite traumatic. Um, especially, I guess, especially, I don't know. I was, because I was in this bipolar manic episode, so what happened is I, I'll go back to the nose that nobody picked. I was doing a reading of it and I was convinced I'd, um, I would like, I was like, right, I'm only going to, what I'm, how I'm going to get an audience is I'm going to walk to the art center, but I'm going to gather people on the way. I'm going to go into secondhand shops and dress up weird and almost like the Pied Piper, uh, let them into the venue and I was going to be like blowing smoke filled bubbles using my vape and uh, I thought this was a, a great idea the guy from the art center came and um, sat with me for a while whilst I explained what I was going to do and my parents and some friends and then I phoned the art center later and I was like oh yeah uh, um, what about this thing that's happening? They said it's not happening because the artist is unwell. And yeah, and then my parents were up to keep an eye on me because I was acting so strange. No one knew I was bipolar at this moment. So no one knew what the hell was going on. So we we had a meal at the hotel and then I went outside and told my friend how I was going to, write a scathing attack about the art center on Facebook and, and that it wouldn't support my, uh, you know, uh, experimental new, new wave children's book reading. And she phoned my parents and they decided, yeah, I remember I was like outside this hotel yelling at my dad, you know, I was like, I might have to stem back from the microphone here, but uh, that book is my intellectual property and I can do whatever I want with it, you know? Um, And yeah, they said, well, let's get in a taxi to to take you home, which I begrudgingly got in because I wanted to go home and buy a bottle of wine and walk home drinking this bottle of wine. And yeah, the, uh, the taxi didn't, didn't go home. It went to A&E. And then it took took ages, and but you're seen by um, a two psychiatrists and a social worker. They're called something else now. It's not necessarily a social worker, like a, someone whose job it is. They're not a psychiatrist, but it's it's their job to sit in. And yeah, I was sectioned. I mean, I think it's very different 
for example, if you if you want to go in and you know what's going on, if you're heavily depressed, you can go in and say, um, you know, it is if you are danger to yourself and not and to others, which I was outraged by. I was like, I'm not a danger to myself or others. I'm fucking great, thanks. Um, so that, it, for me, it was a very confusing, weird experience because I was, I was fine. You know, there's this point which I've mentioned. They probably said to me, you can come in as a voluntary patient if you want. And because I was on this high, I was like, well, why would I do that? Life is great. I'm getting all this stuff done. So then that's when you like, get sectioned and I think probably people who are in a bipolar manic episode are more likely to get sectioned because of that um but yeah it's a very I can't you know it's a very scary strange experience if you're well out of it the way I was and then you're taken to this strange place with locks on the doors and shown your bed it's it's um yeah it's it is a strange experience there's no two ways around it yeah i suppose your reality in that moment is that nothing's for you there's nothing wrong right and it's the people who are around you who are saying this david yeah. this isn't david and i yeah. was furious with my parents you know yeah yeah was there a like a over the next few i don't know hours days weeks did you kind of come to understand david like while you were there or the need for it like how long did that that did your reality have to shift did it change oh yeah it didn't it didn't really happen until i crashed you know uh uh yeah bipolar as i said i'm bipolar too but people will be aware that a tricyclical bipolar i think that's the right phrase someone who goes up and down up and down there is a a sort of a crash of depression that comes afterwards. And it was, I was in there for four months. Um, so the crash came after about three and then you go, all oh, right. Okay. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I am bipolar. Maybe they've got a point. You know, I, I didn't really see it before then. Wow, that's quite. That's a long time, right? That's a long time to yeah. be. Uh, yeah, to be like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't do it then, but like jumping off a fucking roof, it's hard not to swear. Four fucking months, man. But I was just on this, just and like I refused my meds for a long time. I was on this, on this um, flight. Um, that I just. Yeah, I can see it. I thought I was fine. I thought I was great. I, you know, I was I was definitely off. Things were a bit skew with. Yeah, sure. And I, I and I know because I've read about your um your exhibition, your installation that you spent some time in seclusion there as well. Is that like the hospital version of like solitary, basically? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll talk a little bit about the exhibition now. It's got lots of stuff in it. It's got. Uh, pages that um, text boards that run around that talk about strange moments on the ward. It's got stuff you can listen to, headphones where you can listen to songs I wrote and recorded. I'm drugged off my face. There's people screaming in the background. There, it's not a comfortable listen. Um, but were yeah, they were they actual recorded on the yeah, on the ward, David? Yeah, yeah, wow, which is technically a bit illegal, but you know, no one's your songs, that. right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the seclusion was the start point really for the idea for the exhibition because I got put in there and it's just this, yeah, it's your atypical padded white room. I don't think mine was padded, but it was just a white room where they first time I went in was because of sleep. Actually, I was sharing a bay with a snorer of prehistoric proportions and they put me in seclusion so I could get some sleep. I was then later put in over uh, acting up. and But, it, yeah, it's the kind of place, it's the white room they stick you in um, to help you calm down with no stimuli whatsoever. 
And I went in there and thought, this is horrific. Because for me personally, when, when I've had moments in my life where I've been very stressed, you need something to do, like a book to read or a game to play on your mobile or whatever. Um, and the idea of having nothing just horrified me. Um, I did devise something, but we'll come back to that. Um, uh, so I, I took to my, I had this notepad in there where I wrote down all my ideas. I was going to revolutionize the NHS. Um, and you can see this notepad in the exhibition. Um, and I drew up plans for an alternative seclusion, which, which, uh, which would have grass on the floor, murals, nature sounds, books to read, and like good, nice books to read, kids' books, etc. And Play-Doh, because I figured you can't top yourself with Play-Doh. And so when I was in there and I was recovering, I was like, you know what? I'm not an artist. I've done exhibition installation things in the past. Maybe I should make my alternative seclusion. So we made it a reality. And um, one of the really nice things is that uh, David Parkins, Delusions of Grandeur, last year was on at Bethlehem Museum of the Mind, which is a working, it's in a working mental health hospital. Wow. The old Bedlam, I think. Although technically it's not exactly the same grounds. But the nice thing was I heard that uh, inpatients, service users who are under section, um, or and not, came in and sat in my alternative seclusion because it was a nice place to hang out in. So that was that was really nice. Yeah. 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 That's uh that's really lovely, eh? Really, really lovely. Yeah. yeah. I mean the um because I, I talk because in the text boards I talk about seclusion. The uh thing I devised to keep myself busy is in seclusion they give you this cardboard crapper. Right? which you can shit in if you're stuck in there um, and pissing, I assume. Um, and they take everything off you. They take your belt. I asked if I could have a book. The nurse, now this is an interesting point, it was a bit pissed off with me, he said, no, you can't have a book. So there's a moment of maybe a bit of power being misused there. But I found in my pocket a pen lid. So uh, for like 45 minutes, I played potty pen lid netball. So like the, the cardboard crapper was shaped in a way so it had different little bits in there. And I I got different points for where I where I could get the pen lid in. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, a bit like you mentioned solitary confinement, a bit like Steve McQueen with his baseball bat. Yeah, yeah, bouncing against the, yeah. the wall. Yeah, yeah, Except definitely. The cardboard toilet and a pen lid. <laughs> there you go. It's your patent that. But it's um, it's such an extreme, isn't it? It sounds like when you, you know, when all the problems are in your head, being forced to be with them in your head full time is really like it sounds horrendous. To be honest, like you know, like even five or ten minutes without that distraction when you really need that distraction can be awful. So to be kind of in there, you know, for any length of time, um, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about it from the the medical side. Do you know what I mean? I don't know why, why it's a well, thing, but. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is like, um, for example, I'm very good friends with Steve Brown, who's a uh, psychologist. I've not given his full title, on, but he's a psychologist who works at NTU university and generally, uh, and there's a thing called design in mental health that looks at, you know, design, uh, the architecture and mental health. People are, you know, the boffins, the clever people are looking at seclusion anew. And it's generally, I think it's on its way out. Hmm. Um, like, for example, I went to this uh, design in mental health fair, which is like a huge corporate event i mean you know there's things to say about that but the weird thing was there was this bit it was made by these swedish architects 
And it was like a big phone on the wall, a big screen on the wall. And you could choose what you wanted, relaxing stuff. And one of them was like my seclusion room. One of them was clouds and and grass and the nice nature sounds. Um, so, yeah, people are looking at it. it is, I think it is on its way out. Um, but then again, some psychiatric nurses I know swear by it. So it's um it's it's not there's not there's not an easy answer for it you know but um, i do feel i'm sure there are times where it has helped people but it's a bit of one size fits all and for me personally um it felt punitive punitive is that the right word it felt felt like i was being punished a bit Mm. and the no stimuli wasn't obviously so i had to devise uh the ultimate cardboard pen game to distract myself um yeah this one size fits all doesn't work and it needs to be looked at really yeah yeah sounds like it yeah very very much so what about we kind of touched on it a little a little bit um earlier but what about coming out you know so you get to that point where you don't need to be under section anymore how do you fit back into your old life? Do you fit back? Do you start a new one? Like, kind of, there must be such a strange time. Like, four months is such a long time. Yeah, and it's not. It's not just the time, is it? It's the experience and the 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 lessons, the learnings, the everything that happens while you're while you're there. Did you, you know, did you feel like a different person on the other side? How did you begin to to navigate and get us? I'm trying to get us up to date, really, Dave. Um, I mean. A big thing about it is you have been institutionalized, you know, the same way someone, a prisoner might be. So I remember my parents got me out and said, oh, let's, let's get you stocked up. And I remember going to a local supermarket and, you know, it being, it being weird and freaky because you're just not used to that at all. A bit like someone coming out of prison, um, so yes, I was I was um recovering from depression. Um I mean it does change you in the sense that your medications have changed, and obviously recovering from that is quite a big thing. The aftercare was really good, actually. I had a a nurse, I mean, getting section certainly gets you on the uh, mental health NHS mental health radar. I had a nurse who came and visited me once or twice a week um, who became a good friend. And she, we were just talking about, yeah, how I am. And uh, yeah, yeah. And I started jogging again. Jogging's always helped me. So um, yeah, it was just, it was like putting yourself together after a depression and um, and then, and then I guess, as is as is my want, being an artifarty weirdo, I kind of thought, oh, okay, well, this is strangely inspiring. So I kind of started making some work about it, I guess. Yeah, and we're, if we can chat a little bit about the exhibition itself, is that how do how do you describe it? Is it like you know, is it your is it your journey or is it a day in the life? What's the like the overall? Um, how do you sum it up? It's uh, looking at my four months under section from a plethora, plethora or plethora of mediums. Um, so I really ought to. I should have written the dates down. But it's on sort of uh, end of September, October, November. And the, sorry, yeah, September, October, November. Yeah, end of September. I'll just say that again, end of September, October, November. Um, but yeah, it just looks at seclusion in lots of different ways. As I said, there's these text boards, which are really connected with people, I think. Um, and they're just moments on the ward, weird moments on the ward, like getting sectioned. And I fell sort of madly in love with a fellow inmate and I got punched by a fellow inmate. Um, I escaped and went to the champagne bar. And and then there's and then there's the depression afterwards. And I 
there was a very a very half-hearted suicide attempt it wasn't really an attempt but um uh yep so there's these boards that take you round and there's the songs you can listen to there's also a bit visitors corner where you can listen to friends and family being interviewed about I've got I've specifically put that in my notes to ask you about David because I think yeah. you know that's a really important part of the mental health and mental illness conversation because you know we can talk about ourselves all day long but it's the effect that we have on others that is as seismic sometimes as going through it yourself are they um are they actual like recordings are they your family members on those yeah on those tapes? I just, yeah. yeah recorded friends and family yeah and it kind of runs chronologically a little bit they you know wow that's wonderful I mean, I mean i think the weird thing for them was at first as i said i wasn't a, a bipolar i was i never had an up mania like that so they were kind of piecing things together and they didn't really know what was going on, just that I was being very weird. And, um, yeah, but I think I think putting someone up for section is it's – it's a pain I don't, I don't know because I've never had to do it. But I think it is – it's hard. It's hard um, because – the person is angry with you and yeah so um my mum talks about that and and then it's just I was very lucky um because I had a friend who started a Facebook page called Dave Watch and organized who was gonna go and see me. So I was my parents would come and see me every day and I'd normally have friends come and, and visit me every day. Um and you know, some people on the ward hardly got any visitors, so I was very lucky in that respect. And then, yeah, they talk about the strangeness of look, kind of supporting someone who's going through this. Um, you know, because I could be extremely hyper, I was like, I'm gonna play you a song. I had a guitar in there, which I kind of vaguely learned, I'm a pianist. But I kind of vaguely learnt it. I play a song. Look at these drawings I've done on the wall. Let's have some coffee and smoke. Or when I crashed, or you know, when I when I properly started taking the medication, I was kind of this drooling wreck. And I think, yeah, I like one of my friends, Pete Shenton, who's a great artist as well. He said I was trying to play him this song, and he. Would, just I was so broken, you know, just getting the song wrong. So yeah, they talk about yeah, the the strangeness and then the strangeness again, the double strangeness of someone before they go under section who's having a bipolar manic episode, and then the the oddity of of having to go and visit someone in there. Yeah. And there's an area called the dark corner as well is that right yeah that's um so when i crashed there was this i mean i'm so glad i chose this i chose a big black pad it just fit you know aesthetically it really works um <laughs> but i chose a big black pad with just blank pages and i just wrote i mean so i suppose it's obvious now being an arty farty weirdo that art really helps me or expression helps me so i just wrote these uh stream of consciousness just while i was in this black hole just you know there's big pages of stream of consciousness which are which you can go into the dark corner and it's, it is as you might imagine a dark corner and you can see the book but you can also listen to me reading through the stream of consciousness and there um it's quite it's quite poetic and it's obviously someone who's trying to find meaning again looking for a reason to go on so yeah, yeah. has a has the process of kind of 
putting this stuff all together and putting it on display and you're reading that notebook has that been like cathartic for you if that's not too like cheesy of a question or like what's that process i've got a diary i kept when i was very very unwell and i i burnt it i couldn't go back to i kind of did like a little ceremony of this kind of thing of like saying goodbye to it and letting the smoke drift off into the because i couldn't bring myself to 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 read it you know um and yeah i can't it must be it's strange at all maybe i'm sorry i don't want to put words in your mouth but yeah to like go back through that time when you're obviously so far past that time now this is we're very different you see what i would have done so i got that diary and i'm probably taking the pages out put them on the wall you know (laughs) um throughout my life because i've made artwork about um mental health like i had a big depression and i wrote an album about it called uh I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to plug. Mate, plug it, plug it away. And all of this will be in the episode notes. So anyone listening who wants to go and investigate, I'll make sure your website's there and all your stuff's in there too. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so this album is what I always think about when I think about how I deal with stuff. Um, It's called Good Friday. And in nine songs, it takes you from suicide attempt where I drove to Crawley, of all places, and tried to stop myself. And it ends with the words, it's good to be alive. And for me, it's been very, uh, yeah, art is is very cathartic for me. It's like free, free therapy. And to give something horrific or, or kind of strange or, or pointless even, I, uh, to take a moment in your life and give it a beginning a middle and an end um is yeah is great and i mean i was i was just thinking this the other day people often say to me um oh yeah you're dealing with the stigma of mental health really well and and you're very brave nah i'm just for me um moments like that can be incredibly dramatic and a kernel kernels well anyway a beginning point for art i mean especially getting sectioned because it's such a strange experience and you're in there with other people who are strange and on journeys of their own i mean i'm halfway through a novel uh, which is about sectioning um it's also about faith and it's different than the exhibition it's called duty of care but um yeah something like that in particular is extremely dramatically interesting and i've always i've got kind of two streams to my artist artistic practice oh my god i can't believe i just said artistic practice i'm like i, I pride myself on being the least um I was pretentious artist you um but yeah the one side of my my work is weird speculative fun stuff like the nose that nobody picked um but the other half and sometimes they come together a bit is very autobiographical because i've always found extreme moments like that very inspiring in a weird way. I mean, you need to get enough distance from them. I mean, when I did the album, oh yeah, I'm going to talk about the album again. I was just learning the piano. And that was a wonderful cathartic experience. I was, um, yeah, just learning. So the album's got, hasn't got much more than five chords in it, but I, I can write lyrics. Um, And, yeah, and playing my first song on it, which is called Crawley, I just remember sitting at the piano and weeping, you know, and obviously that was was good to, to get it out. Yeah. Yeah, to connect with it in that in that way and something else that that you do as well is you kind of find the um the humor 
right? In your experience, because obviously you're a very traumatic experience and a lot of really challenging things happen. But in amongst that, you found a lot of like funny stories. And I always think that that's like, it's an interesting space because a lot of people that I speak to, a lot of people have been impacted or experienced mental health, mental illness, all these things. I find a lot of my experience very funny. I find a lot of stories like quite quite funny and it's often the people outside of that who haven't experienced who say that we what we should and shouldn't find funny but objectively a lot of things that we do when we are mentally unwell when you look at them out of the context or look at them on their own are very funny and you know there's a lot of um there's 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 humor mixed in with the more challenging aspects of the exhibition i think like i kind of know i watched the video where you do like a tour of it i'll put the link to that that's really really good um but yeah, and there's there's humor in there as well, David. It's all kind of like just all like packaged up together. And I really liked that. I really liked that it wasn't a, a big sad thing and it wasn't a big dramatic thing and it wasn't just a funny thing. And it's kind of all these because most things like that are loads of different things, aren't they? They're not just one thing or the other. Yeah, I mean, um, I've always seen the humor and stuff. I think especially with something like that, you've got to. I mean, one of the so we we premiered it in um and also at Bethlehem Museum of the Mind at Attenborough Arts, Arts and this is a space where Francis Bacon has been and I'm very proud that there is a board up called Wanking and it's about I think there are a, a three big maybe four big problems with um with uh, sectioning. I can come to the others in a bit. But one is wanking, right? Because uh, you're checked up You're checked up on every 15 minutes. I wasn't allowed a laptop or a phone. I'm just saying the chances of you being caught red-handed, so to speak, are increased. And, I mean, what actually happened, this is a moment which is in the exhibition, um, which you can also hear about on my podcast, Delusions, a journey through sectioning, available on Spotify. Um, and yeah, so I was at the point where I was able to go out. I was able to visit out outside of the ward. And um, and I was like, I haven't got a laptop, I haven't got a phone. You know, I've got a I've got a exciting imagination, but um could do that's the other thing. You end up well, this is sounds terrible, you end up fantasizing about the nurses and the doctors you're with and come on nhs that's not good give us some porn so we don't have to fantasize about your student nurses christ anyway so i I went old school old school retro was with my mom and dad i was like hey i'm gonna have to pop in this shop to get some cigarettes and i i went for a art pamphlet, a pornographic magazine. And yeah, I'm only five foot five, right? So I go in this shop and no, I'm determined I'm going to get it because I want to enjoy the rest of my time there, whatever. And I couldn't reach the, the magazine. And so I had to get um, the lady from behind the counter, <laughs> who was taller than me, I had to get this woman to reach me down this disgusting pamphlet. And, you know, that was that was degrading and humiliating. And it was a lot of it by my own hand, uh, to coin a phrase. Yeah. Yeah, like you say, there's... Uh... You never quite know where you're going to end up, right? You never quite know uh, what life's got in store for you. Yeah. And I'm sure uh, I'm sure that that was uh, not something you were expecting when you were, uh, yeah, when you got put under section. Yeah. yeah, definitely. There you go, mate. Where is the um where is the exhibition, mate? Uh the exhibition is at Leicester Gallery and that's in De Montford University. And it's the yeah, the end of September, all of October and then sort of halfway through November. And there's various events happening there's like talks i'm having with uh, um friends and um experts by experience i'm also doing i was talking about the album good friday available on all good streaming sites but i'm doing 
for a while I did, I toured a, um, it's called a clinical depression concept album show. So I'm doing a kind of cut back version of that. It's me playing the piano. Now, I only learned when I was about 33. I'm not a great pianist. I'm not a virtuoso. I play chords, much like you might imagine, you know, like a punky person who plays the chords and they sing the song, three chords and the truth. So I'm not a great pianist but um so i play the i play the songs but i'm supported by um a local leicester musician called dave donu who's uh a brilliant bassist and cellist and um yeah and uh yeah so what was that? i was plugging it wasn't i so i talk in the middle of the songs i kind of talk you through the depression and what what uh what's going on in my life or whatever and that's on the 13th of Friday, the 13th of October in the space in Leicester Gallery in De Montford. Oh, mate. Yeah, that sounds great. And like I said, I'll make sure all the links and everything are in the episode notes for, for people listening. And I just, I don't know, it's so important to explore these things in as many different ways as possible, right? I think you mentioned before about like a one size fits all. And I think the way we talk about mental health and the way we learn about it, learn about our own experience through the experience of others is... Uh, yeah just all these different things and um yeah i think yeah what you're doing is great mate and um oh, yeah be, yes. i hope i hope a lot of people come and see it i think what you're doing is great as well oh mate there you go yeah. look at that dude I mean, thank you uh thank you for your time today mate i really right? really appreciate it. it's been lovely to chat yeah brilliant cheers A big up to that proper mental podcast. A proper mental podcast. <laughs>